Hey, welcome everybody to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast, the go-to destination for all things Kamloops real estate related, where we unlock the secrets to successful property ventures and turn keys into dreams. <laughs> that might have been a little corny, but I did say it. Hey, I'm Parker Bennett from Royal LePage Westwind Realty, a real estate agent here in the heart of Kamloops, and I'll be your guide through the labyrinth of real estate landscape today. We've got a power-packed episode of invaluable insight that should elevate your understanding of the biggest, most common mistakes made by sellers. However, before we dive into that, I want to take a moment to express my true gratitude to the incredible community of listeners. I want you to know that your support fuels the engine behind this podcast, and I would really love to hear from you. If you find this content helpful or entertaining, hopefully a little bit of both, Um, or if there's a specific topic that you'd like us to cover, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews like this give me the biggest high five ever. And they also help other homeowners and savvy investors or anyone looking to navigate through the uh, Kamloops real estate market. So stop what you're doing right now, head over to your favorite platform and uh, share your thoughts, leave a review. Much, much appreciated. Big high five to me. My name is Parker Bennett. And I've spent the last 20 years helping people through the process of their largest single investment they may ever make, their home. From building inspector to real estate agent, I've chalked up a number of great experiences and strategies for everything related to the home buying experience. This podcast is dedicated to anything and everything around the Kamloops real estate market. Welcome to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. I want to jump right in with today's podcast and uh, there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, maybe a buyer's market, a seller's market. What's the definition of a buyer's market? What's the definition of a seller's market? What's the definition of a balanced market? So I want to explain, first of all, what the market condition that is happening right now in the Kamloops area in the month of November. Um, Basically, 60% of the new listings that come on the market each day are being sold each day. So if 10 new listings come on the market today, six on average are selling. And this to me is the definition of a very balanced market. So when the the supply and demand sort of equals out, the number of new homes is kind of in harmony with the potential buyers in a given market. Now in this circumstance, the price stability of of homes seems to be very steady. Okay. You don't see great increases in, in, uh, in appreciated values in homes, but at the same token, you don't see a whole lot of days on the market. It becomes very standard. And I think sitting in the market right now, give or take, we're probably in the low 40s for average days on the market for homes that are selling. But one of the things that's you know a key factor in a balanced market is, at least from my perspective, is that buyers and sellers don't have any, uh, any opportunistic leverage over the other party. It's pretty balanced. So in negotiating, uh, nobody's weighted to one side, you know, in a, in a hot seller's market, you know, buyers are competing for, for, for properties. So they're, they're paying more, they're doing less due diligence. They're giving into dates and terms, uh, that benefit the seller in a, in a slower market, you know, the buyer has a lot of ability to low ball and, and ask for certain items and stretch out due diligence periods. Uh, they typically depict the dates of completion, possession, uh, how long they're going to keep their conditions on for. In this market, we're pretty balanced. 
which is actually really important for realtors to be able to take advantage of smaller bits of negotiating power as they illuminate themselves in transactions. So I'll give you an example. Um, in, a, in a situation where it's a balanced market, you're not getting a whole lot of competing offers. Uh, maybe during your due diligence uh, of, a, of a property, you may find issues in a property and you can maybe renegotiate those terms in an ethical manner. Uh, whereas in a, you know, a seller's market, we don't have the ability to do that. We kind of find a problem and we're just kind of stuck with it or we, or we bounce the transaction. So, uh, the, the reason I explain, you know, the circumstance here is because we're probably going to be in a balanced market for quite some time. It does seem like this is probably going to be our new norm for the short period of time. And, uh, there's nothing wrong with the balanced market. You know, houses are selling, uh, there's not a whole lot of price fluctuations, but Sellers have an opportunity to take advantage of the little things. And uh, there's, there's a number of factors that I see consistently on a consistent basis where sellers really drop the ball. And so today, where the topic is, uh, we're going to talk about the five biggest mistakes and most common mistakes that I see sellers make when listing their property. Okay, in no particular order. Uh, once again, we're talking about the five uh, biggest mistakes and most common mistakes that sellers make when listing their property. Okay. In no particular order, uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is overpricing the property. So one of the most common mistakes that sellers make when evaluating their price point for sale is an inflated number with the term, oh, we can always come down if it's too high. Nobody makes an offer. We can always come down. The problem with this is potential buyers have a really good idea what the value for each dollar is worth when they start viewing properties. So let's give an example here. If you're selling a property and you're in Aberdeen and you have a 2,700 square foot home and it's uh, backing on to a beautiful view, comes down, you can see the valley, you know, your driveway is concrete, you have a double car garage, it was built in 2006, just making some stuff up. Uh, maybe it's a basement entry and you have three bedrooms upstairs and two bedrooms down, et cetera, whatever. It, you start to be able to compare that very easy with other competitive properties. Now, you may have a different construction, finishing level. Uh, you know, there might be a different kitchen. There might be a better view, worse view. There might be better landscaping. Maybe one's got a hot tub. Maybe one, the fence is falling down. And there are differentiating items that will differentiate those in price. However, when you're a buyer and you start shopping for properties between eight hundred to $850,000, you're going to go through eight, nine, 10 properties. It becomes, the buyer becomes the specialist at that target price point. So they start to see, hey, this, this number right here is super inflated because there's four other properties over here that are pretty much comparable that are forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 less. No one's ever going to make an offer on that property. Now you might say, well, I have a very unique property and I'll give you an example of that. So maybe you're on acreage and maybe you have um, a sprawling spread of trees and it's crown land behind you. And uh, maybe you have a very unique style house or maybe it's a very large home, you know, a 4,500, 5,500 square foot home. You start to really isolate the potential for comparables. Okay. Well then the buyer gets to look at okay, I'm going to go shop for properties in the $1.5 to $2.5 million range, or maybe it's even tighter, $1.5 to $2 million. And they start to evaluate properties. 
And even though they're not comparable, the one comparable item in them is the, their value, their valuations. So you might go from a 10-acre property with a barn and uh, you know 4,500 square foot of finished space, and then you may go to the next one that's three acres, but only one acre is usable and maybe comparably finished. It's a different home altogether, but square footage is really high, and maybe it has some de- detached structures that maybe increase its valuation. And you may go to another property and may have some limiting factors. You know, maybe it's uh, it's off a gravel road, or maybe you have to uh, you have to drive for an extra thirty minutes out of town in order to to get there. That could be a limiting factor. Even some things like you know bus school bus service and and maybe uh, road maintenance and garbage pickup. Some of these things that are maybe very unique to uh, rural properties that really differentiate and and they're very difficult to find comparables. A buyer's still going to shop at a price point, and they're going to look at price X to price. X1, and they're going to look at everything in that range that falls into that class in that category, and they're start, they'll start to depict which properties are the best value per dollar, and that's the ones that get the offers. So by you know inflating your asking price or overpricing your, your property, you can really, it can really result in, a, in an extended period of being on the market. You may have to do some reductions, and of course, once you've been on the market for 50, 60, 100, 200 days, buyers are never bringing you a full price offer. So even if you've brought your price back down to a realistic evaluation, the worst thing that happens is that when you do get an offer, it's a low ball, you know, it's a, it's a stink bid. So you, you end up having to fight for the leverage that you could have had if you priced it properly early in the market period, uh, where you only had maybe 15 or 20 days on the market, you're still considered to be in you know, in this market anyways, in a balanced market, that's considered to be, you know, a fairly new listing, hasn't been around for a long time. So, you know, the leverage is what you're looking for here in negotiating tactics. So final thoughts on this one, and then we'll close it out. Make sure you spend a little bit more time evaluating your price point before listing. And one of the best tactics that you can physically do is grab your real estate agent. And when they say, hey, there's these other three properties that look like they're kind of in the same price point, Let's go take a peek at them. Let's go look at them and see which one of those properties is the next best option to purchase and uh, which one of these properties may be overpriced and hopefully it's not yours. Hopefully you priced it properly. All right. Now remember, we're not in any particular order, but the next uh, commonly made mistake by sellers is uh, neglecting home repairs, staging, and ignoring general curb appeal. So I want to break this down three sections. Okay. Let's talk about neglected home repairs. In this section, I am not talking about, I need a new furnace, but the furnace currently works fine. And by replacing that furnace, I'm going to increase the value of my home by five, seven, ten thousand $10,000. That's not going to happen. Um, I think evaluating your major home repairs needs to be something that you discuss with your real estate agent prior to listing if that's what you are planning to do. If you're about to list your property and you're you're thinking about how to maximize the value, talk about those neglected repairs or things that you've been putting off because there are things that can be fixed that will add value, okay? A lot of times if you have a lot of damage on your walls, a little bit of drywall work and fresh paint goes a long way and it's considered to be one of the most effective, cost-effective ways of increasing the value of your home, especially if you have poor paint colors and you're going to more modern brighter flavored colors. So that's one of the great things that you can do. But if you have 
broken handrails on your deck and you have stairs that are rotten and you have fences that are leaning over and you have fascia and gutters that are pulling off the side of the house. Uh, These items definitely do need to be fixed if you expect to get top dollar for your property because the buyer just sees one thing, deferred maintenance, deferred evaluation, deferred price. So you don't want to let small ticket items go that just require general maintenance and sometimes that sweat equity that you can put into your home prior to selling it is uh, the best value per dollar that you can get to get. But if you're talking about replacing roof, windows, should we redo the kitchen? Should we change all the flooring in the upstairs? Well, now you start to get into another whole discussion, which is basically house flipping. And house flipping 101 comes with a lot of risk and it comes with, you know, there's, there's tactics involved in there and you just can't flavorly go spend money at the flooring store and hope to get you know, one fifty, two dollars for every dollar you spend. Uh, but there's a lot of times when I come to a property and I see, you know, like small little things, you know, sliding glass door that just needs to be adjusted, and and uh, you know, gutters that are falling off that just need a ladder and a screw, and you can fix that. And and maybe the fence that needs to be pulled back up and a couple of planks replaced and a fresh coat of paint, and maybe there's some trees that need to be trimmed. We'll get into that with curb appeal in a minute, but. Um, neglected items usually send a signal to a buyer that it's a neglected homeowner and a neglected homeowner could very likely be looking at a very low offer coming in. Next phase is staging. Okay. And I don't necessarily mean for our market. I don't mean staging in that you got to remove all your furniture, bring in a whole team and they're going to put awesome new couches and, uh, you know, really high end furnishings and pictures on the wall to prep for a purchase, okay, for a sale. Because in our market, there's just not a lot of movement for the value that you're going to spend on getting that staging done. But there's a lot of work that can be done here with regards to decluttering, getting rid of a lot of your stuff. If you're selling your home, I always say, if you're selling your home in the middle of the summer, you're not going to need that winter clothes. So you can start to box up a lot of items that you're not going to use, And you can start to declutter major chunks of the kitchen, the bedroom, the closets, the basement, even if you have to stick it into a garage or maybe you start to get a storage container or something like that filled up with some items, get that home opened up and cleaned out and then let, you know, a professional come in and decide which items will best maximize the perceived value of each room. For example, if you, um, you know, I remember when I was younger and I, sold my first house, my TV, which was one of those big, you know, it wasn't a flat screen TV at those times. It was one of those big tube TVs was just sitting on a couple cinder blocks with a piece of wood over top of it. Not your best staging item for sure. So if you can get, you know, someone in there with a, you know, a careful eye, maybe your real estate agent, maybe your real estate agent goes out and seeks some professional advice as well. And they put together the best approach towards staging your property. You know, I can remember a scenario where I listed a, uh, a property. And, uh, one of the key features of this property was this massive walk-in closet that they had. And as I opened the door into the walk-in closet, I realized this is much bigger. And, uh, there, there, there's just, there's something to be said about this walk-in closet. It's just bigger than the normal. And it's just nicer than the normal walk-in closet. So it wasn't your very, you know, basic, like uh, builder box special. So I made a point of saying, you know, Looking at your clothes, you should color coordinate them. 
and then pull all the extra clothes out so it doesn't look like anything is jammed in there. And so these guys spent a lot of time, like I think they spent an entire weekend sorting out their, their massive closet and sorting out. And what they did is they, they color coordinated all the dress shirts and they had all their pants in color coordinated fashion. And then very rarely when I have my photographer come in and shoot a house, Am I like, hey, make sure you get pictures of the walk-in closet because this walk-in closet had, it had a lot to show. And I can remember reading feedback on this property and getting comments like the walk-in closet was amazing. And so, yeah, it really stood out. And I don't know if you can put a dollar value on that, but it's the emotional process that a buyer goes through when they're at the home. So if they see all that care and all that pride of ownership and all that detail taken into account... Um, it goes a long ways when it comes to writing a check. So staging your home, um, one of the best features that you can do prior to photo shoot, obviously. Um, and don't be rushed. You know, so you decide to list your house and you start to interview some agents and the agents come in and some of the agents will really push for a quick listing. You know, um, sign here, sign here, we'll get it on the market tomorrow. And you think, well, I, you know, I'd like to take my time and go through the house and, and clean it up. I have two, two schools of thought on this. One, some people want to spend an eternity doing that process. Eternity is a long time. If you're looking to sell your house in a spring market, in Febu- it's February, okay? Some people want to fix that old fence or, you know, they've been thinking about doing it and they're thinking about doing it. Now they're thinking of selling and they're thinking, well, now I got to fix that thing for sure. Okay, listen, let's build a plan. Let's build a plan with a timeline because we want to maximize the resale value of your home, but we don't want to spend four months waiting because the market could shift. And if we're in a decent market, it could shift bad. If we're in a, you know, a a good market, it could shift a little bit softer. Um, You know, you just never know. It could shift better, but uh, you want to maximize that curb appeal, but you also want to do it in a very quick present schedule. You want to have some sort of accountability for it too. So staging. Now last is curb appeal. And I think this one, I'm going to consider, we're just going to talk about the outside on this. When you pull up to a home, there's a sense about that home that you feel when you pull into the driveway. Now, one of the things, if you ever come to a a showing with me, you always notice I never park in the driveway and I always try to park on the opposite side of the street because when you as a buyer pull into that property, I want you to feel what it's going to be like rolling in the driveway, or even if you follow my lead and park across the street, I want you to look at that property in its entirety as you start to step on the property line. You know, what does it feel like? What does it look like from a distance? What are you, what are you seeing? What are you doing? If I pulled into the driveway, kind of clutters everything up. So, you know, grass, is it green? Is it dead? You know, are the trees leaning on the house? Is there branches growing up the side of the chimney? You know, is there, is, is the fence painted? Does it look clean? Does it look, does the, does the property look well irrigated? You know, does the, does the vibe of the front yard grab your attention and say, Hey, come inside. I'm for sale and I'm in, I'm in great shape. So these are the things that you got to think about when you're listing your property. And a lot of times I think sellers kind of get into a routine of, this is just my home. I come home every day. I drive in the driveway and I kind of turn the lights off to looking at my home from that, uh, you know, perspective buyer's perspective. And so if you're looking at your competition, it's a great way to, it's a great challenge. 
if you're in a certain price point, let's say you're in a six to $700,000 market and you are going to be listing your house and you feel that uh, 650 is the number, well, go drive into the other 10 listings or drive by the other 10 listings in that price point and see what their front yard looks like. Because if you, if you want to win and maximize the perceived value game, you've got to win all the checkboxes. And sometimes you have a very limited situation. You know, your front yard, it might be a hillside. Uh, your neighbor's house might look trashed. Maybe it's worth just walking over to your neighbor and asking him if it'd be okay if you cut his grass for him, just so you can get some good photos of your house when you go to list it. You know, there's some factors there that you can really go and really stretch a mile. And um, I think it's worth doing. And it's also something to be said for discussing these items with your real estate agent prior to listing your home, because they're going to have some insight on it. Um, and, and if you are open to the conversation, you might be open to getting more money for your property. Okay, number three, being unprepared for showings and or inspections, okay? Now, I get this a lot when you're listing your property, you want as much notice because you want to be able to give the carpets quick skim and clean the cabinets. And if you got kids, obviously there's maybe toys to put away. And if you got dogs, there's a lot of logistical issues that you have to overcome prior to every showing. But I will say this, if a buyer is in town and they're not local, and they got four or five houses they want to look at that they've scheduled in advance. And when they meet with their real estate agent, they start going through properties and the real estate agent goes, you know what? I think there's another house that might be, you know, that might be a good fit for you because they've been in it. And let's see if we can get in there on short notice. They make the call. The seller says, Hey, you know what? I can't, I can't just turn the lights on and walk out of the house. There's a lot that goes into getting ready. Being ready for showings on the drop of a dime is something that can greatly increase your odds of finding a buyer. Okay, so ensure the home is clean, organized, well-maintained for each showing. And additionally, try to have it as ready for, you know, short notice showing as possible. And I will go an extra little mile on this one and say inspections. Now, typically when you have a buyer and they going through the due diligence process and they book their home inspection. Usually that's accounted for, you know, a couple, several days in advance, maybe a week in advance. But as a past home inspector, I don't know how many times I showed up to a home and the seller was not ready for the inspection. And by that, I mean, having some of the things ready, like move everything in front of the electrical panel. And of course, sellers need to be educated on this. So it's really a real estate agent that should be helping to direct this move. But just being ready at all times for something when you're in your listing process, be ready to win the game of selling your house. Okay, number four, these are common mistakes made by sellers, okay, when they list their home and sell their home, okay? Inadequate marketing efforts. Now, this is an asterisk. This is part and do with real estate agent, okay? But you choosing the real estate agent is you choosing your marketing approach because you should have been asking them how they plan to market your property. Okay. Now there's a lot of bubbly smoke and mirrors at times in this process. So you have to be very diligent about choosing your real estate agent and how they're effectively going to market your property. Okay. There, there was a time when I entered the real estate industry where marketing your property meant you were putting a picture typically black and white, and about 18 characters of the best three-bedroom, two-bath, corner lot, whatever, uh, in the newspaper. 
And I can promise you that that does not sell homes, okay? Not in today's digital age, where we have social media, where you can get a really broad spectrum of potential buyers, and you have professional photography at your fingertips, digital videography on the property of Matterport, you have 3D, you have staging, you have all kinds of tools at your uh, disposal to help you in the process of maximizing the perceived value of your home. I, I continually say that because... The difference between getting more for your home and getting less for your home may not be fifty, a hundred thousand dollars. It may be ten thousand dollars. It may be fifteen thousand dollars. It may be negotiating seven thousand dollars from one agent to another because somebody's perceived value of that property is higher than the other party, and that's why you get more money. And so that's really the difference. So you have to take into account that. When your house is on the market and you've taken some photos, okay, let's say you've got a really, really hot property that's going to come on the market uh, in Juniper Heights. And you have one agent who takes a picture with the iPhone 13 plus, um, which takes great photos. Mind you, like 25 years ago, we didn't have this as a tool and this would have been a great tool 25 years ago. But today, you know, we have the access to be able to bump the exposure on properties and see through the windows without getting the, the light flash, the burnt out flash from the, the window setting. And so you may attract 15 buyers to that property because it's, it's an amazing property and it's priced below assessed value and below market value. And so you get 15 people out to this property and it goes into multiple offers and it gets over asking you think, hey, I didn't do anything for marketing except for just put this on the MLS. Well, that's, that's what you think happened. But let's imagine a different scenario. Let's imagine you put the time and effort, got the digital videography done, you got professional photos done. Those 15 people that came to your property, they still came, but there might have been four more people that came to that property because they saw perceived a perception of a better house than what was uh, showcased in the original listing. You know, I often use this analogy of when you're selling your property, imagine you have a five-gallon Home Depot bucket. And inside that bucket is 100 people. And depending on which property you're going to sell, you know, you're going to remove people from that property. For example, if I sell a house in Sahali, uh, there's going to be some people who just want to buy in Westside and they're not going to be able to, they don't, just don't want to go there. So you, know, you take a few people out. And uh, maybe it's a two-story home and you know, there's a bunch of people in that bucket that are 65, 70-year-old people and they're looking for level entry, all the utilities on one floor. And so there's a few people out of that bucket. The idea of the bucket is to try and keep as many people in the bucket. That's how you get the most money for your property. When you have the most people that are going to be looking at your property, if you can, if you can appeal to a broader spectrum of people. And some of that comes to do with perceived value. So by adequately marketing outside of the sphere of MLS, you're going to open the eyes of other potential buyers that are going to come to your property. And there'll be people going into the bucket, right? So you have a unique property. Uh, let's say you have an acreage and it's uh, out of town and um, it's a 7,500 square foot house and it's $3 million and uh, it's on well and it's on septic. You know, there's going to be very few people in that bucket because most of the people are going to be in the median house price. They're going to be close to the core of the town and services. Um, and, um, you know, some people don't want well water and some people don't want to be on septic and so on and so forth. Not everybody wants acreage properties either. However, the point of this is this. There might be, if you market that particular property better, um, 
and getting it streamlined to a broader audience through social media efforts, through proper photography, videography, showcasing that at its maximum perceived value, you might find a buyer who doesn't even live in that city who is not even thinking about purchasing a property until they've seen it on their social feed and they go, I got to have that property. We should go take a look at that property this weekend. And then all of a sudden you have a buyer. So maximizing the perceived value is going to come in maximizing the marketing efforts. And it's your job as a seller to make sure that when you hire a real estate agent, that you understand what you're getting into in a marketing proposal. Um, One of the questions that I always say you should ask, and I'm getting way off topic here, but one of the questions you should always ask your real estate agent when you're interviewing real estate agents is, what are you going to do if my house doesn't sell? That's the number one question you should ask and see how they respond to that. See how their plan of marketing your property is going to change based on the fact of of, uh, unsuccessful attempts. Okay, let's move on. Okay, so we're at the uh, we're at number five. So this is the this is the top five mistakes commonly made by uh, sellers when selling their home, and this is a big one, guys. There's no rhyme or reason to the order that I put these in, but this is just a big one. They're all big and they're all important. But uh, going unrepresented on the sell or trying to sell the property yourself, this is a major fail. And I'll give you an example in all different categories of markets. Okay. So we have three different market conditions. We have a buyer's market, a seller's market, and a balanced market, okay? Let's talk about all three of these, okay? First of all, in a seller's market, we have lots of buyers. They're very aggressively looking for properties. And oftentimes, this is where you see the most for sale by owner signs driving down the street um, because the opportunity to find buyers is fairly easy because the buyers are so aggressive, okay? So you may get an accepted offer in that, in that market. You may have challenges during that process, but you may succeed at selling your property. You probably didn't get the most for your property, okay? Because remember before when we talked about the bucket and the 100 people in a bucket and getting the most for your property is keeping as many people in that bucket uh, interested in your property and keeping the perceived value as high as possible? The minute you stick a for sale by owner sign in front of your house, 95 of those 100 people in that bucket are gone because they're working with a real estate agent. They want to be represented through the transaction of their largest, single, most important investment they may ever make in their entire life. So when you for sale by owner, you may have minimal amounts of success in selling in a hot market, but you probably didn't get top dollar. In this previous market, seller's market that we just came out of the COVID market, it was very common to hear about multiple offers in for sale by owners. And lots of times you heard about them and you thought, oh, great, they probably had two offers when the average deal here is getting 10 or 15 multiple offers. And people are putting in condition-free offers, you know, in the situation they're in, they're maybe getting two offers, but they're not really contractually liable, like legal documents. They're just verbal offers or napkin offers. So in a seller's market, you're going to lose money just based on the fact that you're probably not getting the attention of all the qualified buyers as humanly possible. Let's talk about a buyer's market. This is when buyers are holding all the leverage in the transaction and the sellers are super vulnerable holding the signs, trying to do the sign twisting like the Domino's guy in the corner of the street when you, uh, you know, not in Kamloops, but in, in the bigger demographic areas. Anyways, uh, there's very few showings for properties that are for sale by owner uh, when you're in a buyer's market. And a lot of times they're not qualified people. They're neighbors. They're people that are just cruising the hood and they, they don't have a real estate agent because they haven't really qualified themselves as a potential buyer yet. Um, the first thing that most 
people do, sane people, uh, when they decide they're going to buy a property is they go get professional advice. They go get qualified at a bank, mortgage broker, a lender, they figure out how much money they can spend, and then they go to attach themselves to a real estate agent who's going to give them limitless amounts of time and professional advice out the wazoo through the process of that large single investment. Okay. Now, if you're a for sale by owner and you're in a tough market for sellers and you're hoping to get the attention of a buyer in a buyer's market when the buyer is just holding all the leverage, you're just not going to get showings. In a balanced market, it's not much different than a buyer's market. So you're getting less action. And you know, if you if you want to look at right now, we're 45 days on the market is our typical days on the market before a property gets sold here in the city limits of Kamloops. In a balanced market, uh, 45 days seems pretty reasonable. Uh, if you're a for sale by owner, you're probably going to be waiting, you know, 10 times that. Most uh, for sale by owners in a balanced market end up waiting it out and then end up listing their property with a real estate agent because they just get frustrated with the process. Okay. So by selling privately, you're going to add liability to it. Uh, you're going to add liability to a very expensive, expensive item that you're about to sell. There's countless of court dates with disputes over buyers and sellers uh, with regards to property lines and uh, property disclosures, whether or not a seller disclosed properly. You know, a lot of times when you get into a situation where the seller has something evil he's hiding through the process of selling his house, they don't want to get a real estate agent involved because they want to try and dampen, you know, the potential of being found out about this, whatever issue that they're trying to hide. And I want to say that's real common, but it does happen. You know, I've had experiences before where I've been to a property who's uh, someone who's trying to sell their property. And when you go through your process as, a, as an agent trying to develop a strategy for listing the property, you bump into the problem. And this is a problem that the seller doesn't want exposed to the marketplace. And as a real estate agent, you have a duty to disclose. So you're in a vulnerable situation. Listen, I can't do this job without disclosing this, this issue. I have a higher level of duty to the public about disclosing uh, major issues than you as a seller does. And so they end up just not listing the property because they're trying to dampen the opportunity of exposing that issue to the public, to the marketplace. So, you know, that's one vulnerability. And then the other side too is that when you have a for sale sign and an agent is listing a property, not only the buyers that are coming, are they qualified, but also the sellers qualified. You know, at times people might just park a for sale by owner sign on their property, but they're not really serious about selling. The buyers don't even want to go give them their effort and time because, you know, they go there and they say, you know, they're overpriced or whatever, and they're just kicking tires. They just want to meet people. They're just bored. They just want to hang out and have a coffee. And, you know, it's, it's really an unqualified situation to be in. So um, how about the ease of the whole process? I mean, a professional that's done it over and over and over and over, they understand the process. They know how to get documents. They know how to you know, read title charges, how to get access to title charges, how to get advice on title charges. They know how to get strata documents. They know where to find documents. They know how to get building reports from the jurisdiction of that building authority. Um, they understand the market conditions. So they understand when there is a buyer's or seller's or a balanced market, or maybe even in a balanced market or a buyer's market, you may have a particular property that's super rare 
And although you're not in a seller's market, that property will become a seller's market property because it's a niche property, right? So sometimes you have these little chunks of real estate that are super rare just because there's none available. You know, you might find a development where there's 200 units and for nine months there hasn't been one come up for sale. There's always going to be a little pent up energy for that complex, even regardless of the market conditions. So just understanding that as a real estate agent, having access to the data is going to give you not only a better opportunity to sell for more, but a better opportunity just to sell and to have a good selling experience. So I really appreciate you tuning in uh, for the last 35 minutes of me blabber on about the common mistakes made by sellers. I appreciate the feedback. If you have a chance to give me a review, I would much, much gracias appreciate it. (laughs) 